Uh, welcome everyone to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Timothy Plain. And I'm Ulrich Brussel. Each week we discuss a different filmmaking topic and give you our point of view. Not because we have all the answers, because we don't, but we're just trying to figure it all out, probably like you. Uh, today we have Colin Levy on our show. How you doing, Colin? Pretty good, pretty good. A little tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry about the 7 a.m. start. It's all right. I got to get used to it. <laughs> good um, to be here, man. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. We, um, I met Colin over Twitter, actually. I think I was just tr- searching for Bay Area Filmmakers. And I found you, I started following you, and I don't think I even checked out at your website for a little bit. And then when I did, I was like, shit, this guy's good. <laughs> and I actually talked about it on the podcast. After I saw your movie en route, I wanted to quit filmmaking forever. <laughs> <laughs> I did not good. hear that uh, episode. <laughs> I got to go yeah. back and dig through the archives. Uh, but then, you know, and then I reached out to you and you were kind enough to meet up with me and we had really good conversations and it was nice to hear that somebody who I thought was so far ahead of me was going through some of the same struggles as I was. So yeah, totally. I feel like uh, I'm sure you've had those conversations too with other people. Yeah. I mean, I I think that almost everyone sort of goes through similar problems in some, some degree, uh, even like reading an interview with David Fincher, uh, you know, yesterday, I was like, huh, mm-hmm. you know, I can relate to that, kind of. Uh, so, so it's, yeah, it's a, I feel like film, the filmmaking community, you know, is, is truly a community, and there's lots of, you know, similar problems no matter what level you're working at. Um, so, Colin, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, uh, where did your filmmaking career begin, or even just define yourself as a filmmaker briefly? It's just something, any little bio intro to yourself. Yeah, yeah, all right. Um, well, like many people, I discovered filmmaking pretty young. Uh, probably started making movies when I was like 13 or so. Yeah, and so throughout, you know, my middle and high school years, I was always uh, bossing my brothers around and, and directing them from behind the camera and being in front of the camera myself. And we would just worked on projects together uh, that were, you know, terrible and pretty unwatchable. Um, but that's sort of where I kind of cut my teeth, I guess. is nothing legitimate. It was just us having fun and figuring stuff out. And that's our, sort of how I got into visual effects and animation. It's really has been the case that it's like one project led to the next, led to the next, and each one kind of got a little bit better and a little bit more watchable, a little bit more entertaining until like you could actually show it to an actual audience who appreciates it. And uh, throughout that period of time, I mean, I I was posting my work online and that ended up being pretty instrumental in in opening doors and opportunities, uh, which led to um, my first and only real professional gig uh, which was uh, Sintel, um, which is a 15-minute a, a 3D animated short um, that was done by the Blender Foundation. And, and I was actually hired to direct this uh, this short overseas. So I, I lived, I, I was in college at the time in film school, um, you know, sort of assuming I would go into live action. And this opportunity fell in my lap uh, to move to Amsterdam and direct, uh, direct you know, for real. Wow, you yeah. actually went there? Yeah. I thought you just did it from your house. <laughs> and you were like working with artists and just emailing Dude, each other. Dude, that would have taken four years. It would have been possible. <laughs> wow. but um, That's amazing. It, it was amazing. And I felt so lucky. And like, I remember when the email dropped to my inbox and I thought this might be a real possibility. Like, I went outside. I'm not a runner. I'm, I'm, I'm not athletic. And I like ran like two miles in circles around like my dorm i was just like <laughs> so pumped about what what the future could could hold um so cool and so yeah i was i uh for a year i lived in amsterdam and worked on this short and i um, pretty proud of it still it was five years ago or so um and part of my responsibilities on that short was the cinematography and the, the layout which i had based almost completely on my understanding of how pixar does it and then, uh, and then that <laughs> wow. became my reel for Pixar, uh, which I I actually I went back to school to do my my senior film after that because my parents wanted me to get my degree, and uh, I ended up 
kind of heading straight from school to uh, a residency at Pixar in Emeryville. Uh, so I moved from the East Coast to the West Coast and started my career at, at, at Pixar, which was not the plan. Um, but of but course, it's been yeah. you know a dream of mine since Monsters Inc came out, and it and it's been an incredible four years. Man, wow! I have so many questions after that story. <laughs> what was yeah. the first movie you? Let's we'll go back in time. What was the first movie you put online? Um, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I feel like I put some of the very worst early films <laughs> online. I feel like probably the first one was called Workings of the West. I was probably fifteen, and mm-hmm. wow. um, my brothers and I were dressed as cowboys and it was really the two of us who played every role in the film even though there's a cast of like eight and I was using my rudimentary After Effects skills to clone myself so that I could play different characters in the same scene. (laughs) Nice, that's That's awesome. Did anybody watch it? No. <laughs> but what well, was kind of the turning point for you in in like where people started to take notice? Yeah, um, a film called Suburban Plight, which I did in high school, which is not too much mm-hmm. later, you know, than Workings of the West, but it was so yeah. much better. Um, and that was similarly like no budget whatsoever. It starred a family member, my dad. It was only like one character that was live action. And there was one other character that was CG. And that was the first time that I was really working hard to integrate uh, CG with live action. And I, I designed my own creature called a Snurgle, which is sort of a, a cross <laughs> between a deer and like an anteater. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was short enough. It was fun enough. And I guess because of the animation, it really did. Um, when I put it online, it, got some traction um got on the front page of dig at the time um and uh it crashed my server someone else uploaded uh the copy that i had on my site to youtube prior to that point it was like i would never put any of my work on youtube youtube sucks (laughs) that's what i thought i mean it was so uh low quality and like yeah it was for just crap but I realized how valuable it, it was. And I think at the time it, it got it got tens of thousands of views. I don't know how, how many. I can't find and, the link and, anymore. <laughs> and what year was this? Do you know roughly? Um probably two thousand eight, two thousand seven, wow. two thousand eight. Wow, man. That you got an early start yeah. with like the CG visual effects live action route that's yeah I mean, that's you have that's why you have a leg up all right well it all makes sense and, <laughs> and i i hate you even more now <laughs> how about you when when did, you, when did you put your first short online um well a few weeks ago <laughs> <laughs> no really that's not I mean, true the, over my dead body is the first short that i put online and like pushed it out in the world up until then i've only kind of put things online and didn't say anything to anybody hmm. I'm just kind of like, oh, it's like my portfolio online. Got it. But in terms of actually like releasing a film online and like telling people about it, I mean, really, Over My Dead Body's the first one. Oh, interesting. Well, I'm trying to think when my first one was, I think I put some stuff out probably around the same time that Colin was doing his stuff around 2008, 2009, but I wasn't like pushing it out in hopes of like getting tons of people to watch them. I was just putting them out to put them out there and then like maybe hoping that people would, would watch them, but I wasn't like promoting them or anything Mm. like I'm doing now. Mm. But uh, I have like a music video that I made doing the kind of similar thing where like cloning myself, you know, and like, so there's three of me dancing in the, in the frame. (laughs) I made that with my friend (laughs) in high school. That was probably way, that was probably like 2005 or 2006. It's, it's humbling to look back and like those early projects might be absolute crap, but that's where, I mean, Everyone starts doing crap, you know. Everyone. Yeah, I totally agree. I am. Yeah. Um, yeah, when if you watch a bunch of of uh, you know famous directors' early work back to back to back, you can't help but be inspired. You know. Yeah. I, I don't know if you've seen um, James Cameron's uh, Xenogenesis, but I only mm-hmm. just came across it. That was basically a student short, and like you can totally see James Cameron in it, but oh, but it's yeah. no Avatar, mm-hmm. you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think but it's that, pretty good. It's pretty good. I mean, you see it and you're like, wow, okay, well, that dude's obviously talented. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think that, I think if it's, we're talking about the same short where it's like those 
those people and there's like the robot or something. Yeah, I yeah. can't really remember. Yeah. But it's like that's no that's not near nowhere as good as the average short today. It's true. You know? Exactly. The bar was so much lower back then, I think. That's true as well. They're like, wow, there's robots in here. This is cool. Well, the process was no so much more limiting, you know. Yeah. So Yeah. Like and when I was making movies at 13, I was using two VCRs like side by side. Totally. There was like non-linear editing didn't come out till I was like almost done with college. Right. So wow. I was very limited and I was like trying to do visual effects at the time, wow. but I couldn't really do anything. It's like I was reading books about how ILM did it and green screens and matte paintings. And I tried to do stuff like one of my early tests was projecting something on a TV as like a background and then doing claymation in front of the TV to like, you know, create some sort of environment, but that doesn't work because TVs (laughs) have like the rolling bars and you know, it's all pixelated. So like, yeah, I I didn't really get a chance to do visual effects um, because of that. And I feel like I missed out. And so I, my movies were much more primitive Mm. and I just could really focus on, I guess actors and camera, right? Um, which I definitely like shapes who I am as a filmmaker today. Yeah, but yeah. I see stuff like your work, and I'm like, oh, I wish I had like that kind of filmmaking skill. But I just I didn't grow up with it. If I had access to a computer at the time, I'm sure I would have been more like you, and I would have been like playing with a bunch of stuff and creating characters and dropping them in there. Right. I remember thinking, uh, lamenting like the year I was born, and felt like <laughs> like it was either too too early or too late. Uh, for certain yeah. things, mm. and um, I think everyone feels. Yeah, that, right? right. That's funny. But I, I, um, yeah. In retrospect, it was a pretty, you know, it was the sort of nascent digital revolution, you know, that that mm. I got yeah. kind of got to catch the wave uh, on, and uh, you know, it's it's taken over to a degree right now, and I feel like, um, you know, I, I look at uh, all these talented filmmakers who are showing their traps on online, and I myself, I'm getting very intimidated. Uh, by you know yeah. the the younger generation who's gonna you know yeah. just blow us all out of the water. I feel the same way too about my experience. I was like, I'm so glad that I got a chance to edit from tape to tape <laughs> and like really understand like when you made a cut, you're committing to that cut. Right. And they, what there wasn't trying it a bunch of different ways to see what works. Like you just you have to you got know. the one shot. Kinda. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, one shot. Oliver yeah. has a similar experience to that too, right? Y- yeah, because I didn't start making movies until high school, and uh, my first high school video production class, we learned uh, tape to tape, A B uh, roll editing. Hmm. So you know, I would be editing like promo promotional videos for the soccer team on, you know, tape to tape. So like, and we were doing like really quick cutting things like, you know, maybe like a second per cut or whatever. And we did like probably like 30 seconds of this promo and then decided to redo the whole thing. (laughs) So you have to start at the beginning, you know, you can't just change one thing. It's like, you have to go all the way back and redo the whole thing. And I remember that was like a very painful process and it was, it was good to learn. But then like the year after that, we got final cut pro at at our school. And so then we were like, you know, able to, to, to do that experience. But I think learning like the very first things I ever did doing tape to tape, I think was really, was really good to learn that linear style just because it does help your decision-making, you know, become more focused. It makes you appreciate what you have when you, when you're no longer constrained by anything. Yeah, <laughs> I know. That's what where we're at now. But it, it's kind of, it's really interesting to hear like how the tools of w- when we grew up and what we had access to shapes like the way we make films. Oh, completely. That's so cool. Yeah. I did. I haven't really thought about that. Yeah. And, and like you said, I mean, I, I would agree that like that is the thing that has sort of given me the leg up over the years is sort of mm-hmm. uh, my comfort level with with visual effects no matter like how primitive um i i guess i don't shy away from stories that require a certain amount of you know effects what you know level ingenuity or a certain amount of effects work which i mean en route which you mentioned earlier you know it opens in a plane with a you're in a plane crash practically you know <laughs> yeah. and like yeah. that is an easy thing to to think there's no way i can actually pull this off uh, um that's what i tell myself right well yeah i mean i should have <laughs> because <laughs> it was it was a hell of a lot of work and uh, uh it still you know doesn't look realistic but but from a it looks pretty damn good it dude. looked pretty from damn a good. yeah story standpoint it did what it needed to do you know for the short and that's 
you know, it opened with a with a, an image that you don't see that often, you know, in student shorts. And I feel like it grabs your attention, and, and there you go. It's, suddenly, you're you're you have an audience. How about never in student shorts, dude? <laughs> <laughs> or never I mean, well, you know? Yeah. It's like yeah. Well, we have a ton of questions about like online views and some of the stuff that you're working on, and like go through all your films. Let's just take a break right now and just go through like what's going on. What have you been working on, or what are you struggling with? I want to hear about your struggles. Those are my favorite. I feel things. like I'm being pulled in too many directions. I, I feel like I'm struggling to find time to do the stuff that I need to do because I'm balancing a pretty uh, time-consuming job uh, and I'm sort of in crunch time. I'm working on Finding Dory at work and mm. um, uh, I'm in the layout department and uh, just in terms of the schedule, like we're the one who are, who's getting pinched right now. Um, <laughs> and uh, But, you know, I'm prepping for a shoot on December 5th. I'm doing some pickups for this uh, uh, short that I shot last summer. So the the crazy thing is the amount of time that has passed since the original shoot, our main characters are two like 16 year old kids and um, they have really shot up and grown up, you know, in this year. They're now like (laughs) 18, you know, and uh, uh, it's uh, it's a little bit scary because I don't know if what we're about to get will even cut in a way that like people don't notice. There might be issues that that are unforeseen that have to do with hair, you know, or just like the way they (laughs) sound. (laughs) Um, So, uh, but it's been really interesting editing process on this short that has been unlike anything I've done in the past where I edited what we shot and then I sort of branched a version of this movie that started being more constructive rather than reactive in the edit where it's like, this is not what we shot, but I'm editing a new version of this movie anyway, and I'm rewriting lines, and I'm throwing in storyboards or throwing in shots where he's saying something else, and I'm just putting a subtitle of what he will say, and I'm mm. now reconstructing this opening scene and making it better, and then hopefully shooting that to fit sort of these holes that I've created. Um, mm. So the movie has gotten rougher and rougher over time rather than more refined um in the editing process but it sounds like you've been influenced by pixar i think so i mean honestly i think (laughs) it's it's very it's it's yeah it's it's a way that pixar if if pixar was doing live action this is how they would make movies but they would do it and iterate you know 15 times and they would just have the actors on call and they would have like a stage and like (laughs) yeah i mean i i feel like uh they liked you know we i guess like to execute ideas almost fully (laughs) and then stand back take a look at them and then see what can be improved and uh, and then throw it all away and start over and unfortunately i mean this is not how i'd recommend making a movie it's just what i had before was not (laughs) good enough you know like it was a movie that you could watch but i i just i felt like uh it it was falling short have you ever heard about the development of uh, duke nukem 3d part 2 i think it was oh do, yeah yeah where like the guy had so much money and he like had unlimited resources and he just kept remaking that game over and over again <laughs> and he never finished it yeah and it, it ended up coming out like 10 years after he started it i think it got shelved didn't it or did it ever actually make it out it, it actually made it out yeah And uh, was it it, any good or is it too late? Too little, too late. It was too late. Yeah. Especially in the video game world. Right. Of course, where things are moving so fast. I think three or four different, or maybe not three, but like, I think at least two generations of consoles came out during the making of that game. (laughs) And so I think he just got completely screwed by that. That is pretty sad. Um it's interesting. I'm just to, to your point about reshooting. Um, I, and a couple of filmmakers I know uh, have done that on shorts of theirs, and it's pretty amazing to see how significantly different they ended up being because of the the reshoots. Mm. And and you know they both ended up being fantastic. Like one played at San Francisco International from one filmmaker with like you know he basically shot it uh, you know a summer, and then the next summer he did a reshoot. Mm. You know. Um, to like change the opening and change some other components of the movie. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that, that movie is like amazing now. And then another filmmaker, a friend of mine, they didn't have 
an ending or they had a different ending for their movie and a different opening. And by doing the reshoot, they changed like pretty much changed the story almost completely. And now it's like a great short. And so <laughs> that's something I've never done before. And I'm like, sort of, you know, thinking like, that's a really smart thing to do is like, once you're done, see what's not working yeah. and then, you know, fix it. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it seems unfair, like to just have one shot at production to like, Mm-hmm. To go in and have to not make any mistakes, and then and then you have what you have. It's hard to know what you have until you have it, and then and then right. when you put it together, you make observations. And every time I've ever edited a project, the entire time, I should probably not be editing my own movies, but I still sort of am. <laughs> and uh, I'm working with a co-editor right now, but I'm sort of taking the lead. And every time I'm like, ah, oh, I should have done this, or I shouldn't have done this, mm. or why. Why is this scene written this way? And like, I I feel like I'm learning, you know, as I edit, but I'm always regretting decisions, you know, reshoots and that kind of, it's, it's expensive, pickup shots even, oh, yeah. but it's so, it allows you such flexibility and freedom to reimagine and just getting a second chance can make a huge difference. I mean, for the pickups I'm about to do, like who knows if they'll make the difference, but they're actually incredibly subtle. They're just different lines in the same location, in the, it's not like I've rewritten the scene and we're going to shoot a different scene now. It's the same scene, mm. but things happen slightly differently. And I feel like just a, a little bit of sort of surgical modulation, you know, the dramatic content of a scene is the difference between something falling flat or resonating. And so, I mean, that's the, I hope that a year from now I'll be able to look back and, and point to these pickups be like, you know, it wasn't good, and now it is, and and it's and it all all it took was just a little bit of uh, a willingness to go back into production. But uh, yeah, don't you think we kind of sign up as live action filmmakers there to say we don't have total control over it? Like, if you want total control, get into animation. Totally. Mm. Well, or get a big budget. <laughs> exactly. Even still, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, most. Most of the time, you don't have like the luxury of going back for reshoots. I feel like especially right. on the independent level. Certainly on the independent level. Um, but I feel like once you're making, you know, big budget Hollywood blockbuster type movies, you're basically making animation. It's no different, you know, and everything can be changed and iterated on and, and total yeah. control can be achieved because your budget is so high. I mean, you know, half the movies that are out at that level are animated anyway, practically. You know, they're <laughs> mostly CG. And I love that, you know? I, I That's where I want to get. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the filmmakers I admire are the ones who seem to have that total control. Um, like, who are these people? Well, the James Camerons <laughs> of the world, David Finchers of the world, you know, the Christopher Nolans of the world. Um, you know. Perfectionists. Yeah. I mean, Jurassic World, you know, that's a that's a movie where anything could be changed. Um, right. Looking at Jungle Book, you know, uh, I love the trailer. I'm excited for that movie. Uh, Star oh, yeah. Wars, of course, you know, even though mm-hmm. it's shot on film, there's live actors, you know, they could do anything. Anything could be reshot. Um, right. <laughs> and uh, and I, I don't know if you saw the recent Warcraft trailer, but that's another yeah. movie where probably the only thing that isn't CG is the humans you know shot on the green screen mm-hmm. stage you know so i feel like the worlds of animation and live action when you're working at that level on those types of movies is actually there's more overlap than um differences and like you know i read somewhere recently that like you know pretty much every studio movie has reshoots anyways you know like it's just kind of worked into the budget that you're going to reshoot mm-hmm. at some point mm-hmm. you know um, you know, whether it's going to be a big CGI movie or not. So I think reshoots are, you know, something that's just commonplace and not even, you know, not even questioned at this point, you know, but like in the independent world, it's a little bit different, <laughs> a little more difficult. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. even getting my actors back together, I mean, I, I literally might not be able to do it. So it all remains to be seen. Yeah. Well, good luck. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Can't wait to see how this turns out. I love what I love about you and this the pursuit of your film is that you have a very clear idea how long it's going to take. 
Like I fooled myself into thinking I could get Spirit Machine done in like a year. It's taken <laughs> me three years so far and still going. Oh man! And I, if I would have just had the foresight to be like, it's going to take five years, and that's just what it's going to take, then I could have relaxed a little. But I was I've been stressing out like all the time. <laughs> like, when is this movie going to be done? Why is it not done? Yeah. Well, don't get me wrong. That stress is still there, even though I know. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Good. Even though I know it's going to take another year, I feel like the only way. It's going to get done in that short period of time is if I stress and every weekend I'm making, you know, measurable progress and uh, which doesn't always happen. How many hours a, a day do you work at Pixar? It depends. I mean, I pro- I mean, today I already know it's going to be a long day. I'm going to go to work at nine and or I'm going to be work at, at nine. I probably won't be back until 8 p.m. or nine, you know, tonight because I've got to wow, deliver a bunch to of material. anything else on then, huh? Yeah, I mean, especially when you're like, you know, kind of focused creatively or you have to sort of use those muscles all throughout the day. I mean, I get home and I'm pretty just exhausted. I mean, I don't even want to watch anything. I just like kind of go to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Here's a random question for you, Colin. So you work at Pixar. You're a layout artist, um, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, working on the newest Pixar movie. Do you take ownership of that movie in any way, or do you just kind of feel like you're just one small piece of the a humongous puzzle? Yeah, it's a good question, and my relationship has changed, and I uh, like over the four years that I've been there, and uh, you know the feeling of ownership that I have has has evolved. There's some people mm. who who treat it as a day job, and there's some people who are so invested and feel like they are making this movie to a degree that is unrealistic. <laughs> mm. uh, I feel like um, you know, with every show, it's the reality is different. With every project, um, you have a slightly different role and a slightly different relationship with the editor, with the director, with you know my director of photography, who's my boss. You know, with some shows, I've felt more creative control than others but regardless i mean there is no question that i'm making decisions that will be seen on you know on the big screen every single day Mm. you know i'm placing characters uh or casting characters who if no one calls anything out which is pretty likely i am choosing who's going to be there in the background for this shot or Mm. i'm shooting how i'm deciding where the camera is and how it's going to move and in some cases, you know, there's a lot of back and forth, a lot of discussion. The director weighs in, the editor weighs in, you know, it has to be sculpted. In a lot of other cases, it's sort of like I'm the last line of defense and bump, 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 bump. like I'm going to just do these 10 things. And um, I've been surprised how easily those decisions can translate. And like I can like point to certain things in Inside Out or certain things in The Good Dinosaur. And they would not be in the movie um, if I didn't put them there. You know, or that wow. decision, you know, that shot would not have been like that. Yeah, but it's pretty, awesome. it's pretty exciting to feel like. And and yet at the same time, the role overall, you know, is I'm a cog in a machine. I'm a I'm a tiny cog in a big machine. And um, mm-hmm. I yeah. I definitely would say that that's like my overall feel is that this is a job and I'm pretty good at it. Hopefully. Um, and uh, I have a certain level of taste and sensibilities that I bring to my job every day. But it's um, ultimately, I can't make or break anything, you know. Mm-hmm. It's going to function dramatically with or without me. And anyone else who is given the same sequence to lay out is going to do a fine job and I'm replaceable. So that's how I, <laughs> how I feel. Yeah. yeah. Well, it sounds like you're a very creative cog. You know, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. I mean, I have I have an amazing job, and I feel like um, you know most people at Pixar are sort of in the same boat, and it's sort of up to you to figure out how much of your own personal creative energy to invest. But everyone has creative responsibilities. These films are not owned by the directors either. You know, mm-hmm. in some ways, they're a cog too. It's like these are. Mm. It's a very interesting art form animation um, because mm-hmm. it would not nothing would come to be without hundreds of people collaborating in tiny ways right that's so cool well i don't want to run out of time because i have so many questions for you about like getting online views about films i know you have your own theories about it and so can we jump into topic of the week sure. the overall question for me is do online views really matter 
because I, I feel like we obsess a lot about it. Mm. Like, I, I want to get a million views. Like, what does a million views get you? What does it buy you? And as someone who has a ton of views on your films, like, um, it seems like the kind of grew on route had 40,000 secret number has 127,000 right now. And Sintel has a mind blowing 4.5 million. Whoa. <laughs> That's awesome. Like, what does that buy you Thank when you. you get views on your film? Yeah. Like, did you get agent interest? Did somebody ever talk to you about doing a feature film? You got a job at Pixar, of course. Right. What else? But I feel like that job had nothing to do with online views, you know? Oh, if really? nothing it, i mean it might it may have helped but i applied like anyone else and i had a reel like anyone else and i got an interview you know based on that reel which was really showing about showing showing my layout on the film rather than the fact that i directed it or the fact that mm. it was it was good or, or not did you write on your resume i got a million views on this or anything? <laughs> um yeah it was actually there was <laughs> it, so you know it when, might have helped, when i was know. talking about yeah the project and and uh, i mean I, th- I think that it's an impressive project and in a, in a lot of ways and the views is, is sort of part of that um i definitely feel like views matter um but it sort of depends on it's it's it has more to do with the uh with your sort of career strategy than the success or failure of a film almost if you're going online which is you know comes with some unique challenges i think uh getting traction is is absolutely paramount and i have no answers for you uh, <laughs> come on give us I, some answers. i am um yeah i i apologize it's been complete flukes um in my yeah, experience how have you gotten how, so many views i mean of course Sintel is like part of a bigger thing yeah so do you think that i mean did you do pr on any of your films by yourself or was other or you just kind of yeah threw so them let's, let's and... talk about Sintel because it's really interesting to to look back on and analyze a little bit because i myself had very little to do with the release of it it just sort of went online and i posted it on my facebook <laughs> and you know that's sort of the extent of it um but um looking back i mean so we kept a production blog and um you know we were in production for a year and we were pretty regular on that blog so we we did develop some sort of audience um that, that i would say grew over the period of of the production however we already started with an audience that came from prior blender foundation shorts people who are a fan of what Blender is doing. Um, in that case, you know, there was Elephant's Dream, Big Buck Bunny. The, the other part of it is Blender. You know, in this particular case, Blender uh, is a p- piece of software you, we use to make the film. And that's creative. It, it's open source uh, software. So anyone can download it. And, and Blender has millions of users or, or hundreds of thousands at least. And so there's visibility within that community. There's visibility within the open source community, which is, you know, bigger for sure. And that was part of what made that film noteworthy was not only are we using open source software for every aspect of the film, from textures to the actual animation, rendering. I mean, we're using Blender at the core of the pipeline, but then there's open source tools surrounding it. But we're also releasing the film Creative Commons. And, uh, you know, it's an open movie, so anyone can actually learn from the files you know, uh, change change uh, the animation or the ending if they wanted. And so I feel like just that as an angle into the market, you know, it's like we went through a community that exists uh, that yeah. has already kind of got this project on its radar. And as soon as a large number of people, you, you re- reach this sort of critical mass moment. And as soon as you've got like dozens and dozens and dozens of people sharing links like i just imagine that within the first hour we had five thousand people watching it you know Mm -hmm. and because Mm -hmm. of that one fact and because i guess enough people were sharing it you know then it just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and that's what it means to go viral right um right but it's it's amazing how that i i do feel like there's there's projects that that i have witnessed that have been close to that line, that critical mass viral line, mm-hmm. but haven't crossed it and just haven't had that sort of traction to, to, to turn this little snowball into a big one or a slightly bigger one. That, that What do you think motivates people to pass a movie on? Because do you think that's part of either... is is For Sintel, do you think it was because of the movie itself 
or because of the story behind the movie what where do you think the power lies and or maybe if you don't want to talk about Cinto yeah. and you have like another short film that you've seen that now you're modeling after like that you've seen be successful like where does where does it start getting passed around why do people say you got to see this well, i um i'm just going to share my like yeah this is my my opinions which are based partially on my own experience partially on what i've seen out there in the world, real world and partially what i like what i want to believe and what i want mm-hmm. to believe is that good work rises to the top mm-hmm. i want to believe that if you make something just amazing that that people will see it and and that might not be true <laughs> but i do think that it it can only help like if you have something that's truly good that's truly uh, either emotional or exciting or entertaining like mm-hmm. that is the 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 number one factor you know uh yes if you're able to get 10,000 people to click the link that's that's impressive and that's great that's a good solid foundation but really the the question is whether or not they will share it with their audiences Right. Because because that's that's what will make the difference, and the only thing that's going to do that is if they like it, you know, with if that mm-hmm. audience likes it. So it doesn't matter if it was made with Blender, you know, if if it's not good, people won't be you know shouting from the rooftops and saying, "Look at this amazing thing that you know, look at this thing that was made with Blender." Uh, if it wasn't good, I, I don't think people would care. Um, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to ask like a creative question. <laughs> Arik is like, dying to talk. No, I just because. Here's something that I experienced with my short strange thing. And uh, I was lucky enough to have an article written about it that got a lot of attention. And um, it ended up getting like, you know, 100,000 clicks or something like that, like some crazy amount. And the first day it went up, it got 127,000 loads, but it only resulted in about 12,000 views in the end. And so I'm wondering, like, how important is the first minute or two of your short film? Like, do you think about that when you're making a project? Like, to start with something exciting that makes sure to, you know, take in an audience? Or do you just feel like if it's good and it's the story you want to tell, it doesn't matter as long as it's just a good quality short? That is fascinating. So for your loads, does that mean that uh, it's sort of embedded and loaded in that sense? Or is it like, could people have clicked play and then stopped and then it wouldn't have it wouldn't have uh, counted as a play I don't, I don't really know how the loads work but I th- that's what i thought it meant i thought it meant right. that you know if you just started watching it but then you turned it off or clicked away before it completed then that wouldn't count as a view that's really interesting um because it could it could also be that like you know how you can embed a vimeo video you know in another mm-hmm. web page um and i know you guys got a lot of press for o- over my dead body uh, where each each article they've kind of thrown the Vimeo in you know into embedded into that and and that's mm-hmm. definitely you know it has to be loaded to to a degree to show up on that website and that is mm-hmm. a metric or a statistic that I would be interested in it's like how many times have people loaded a page with my content embedded within it mm. you know yeah um, right so that could be the that number but I I don't know we'd have to look that up. But right. to, to answer the, the larger question, I do think that um, no matter what you're watching, whether it's a short, a feature, or I mean, even a piece of music, like I judge it, you know, within the first couple of minutes. And like, <laughs> I, I can't help it. It's like I form an opinion pretty darn fast. The challenge is not necessarily to wow or to hook. For me, it, the audience, the, the, the challenge is to not, <laughs> to not screw it up, to not push people away. <laughs> Usually for me, it's mm. something, it's like when I'm watching something, there's something that either rubs me in the wrong way or that makes me feel like, oh, eh, like I can't trust this filmmaker or I can't, you know, um, I'm not I'm not into it yet. Uh, and I generally though, and I feel like audiences in general want to give this thing the benefit of the doubt, whatever it is. However, yeah, I think that like the bigger you can make that opening or the hookier, I feel like that's that's a strong tactic. And it is something that I've considered very heavily for the short that I'm working on now. It's like, what is the most impactful way to open this short? And um, I think it's particularly challenging as a, you know, as a, uh, a, a problem, because in many cases, I have found that the right thing for the story is different 
than the right thing for the piece. Mm. In the case of Sintel, I fought hard against the opening that we had. We opened with a fight scene. It has no no reason to be in the movie. <laughs> it's a meaningless fight. But, yeah. you know, my producer was adamant that we open with a fight, and that's going to get people to lean forward in their chairs. And you know what? Maybe he was right, you know? Mm-hmm. And similarly for the short I'm working on now, I have something storyboarded that I think is wrong for the movie. And I actually don't think we're going to execute this version because it's also more expensive. But it is like a lot flashier than what I think we're going to ultimately go with. And what I hope is that people will be intrigued enough by the concept rather than the images and will stick around um, because it gets pretty cool. It's just it's not going to open with as mind-blowing of a, of a visual. Yeah, when we met and we talked, you seemed to have thought about a formula for successful online movies and you said that if you look at the successful online shorts all of them kind of are action-packed sci-fi kind of shorts there's definitely Do you still believe that there's definitely a um it's almost like a legacy of, of successful online releases where they where yeah they're sort of um uh sort of set piece oriented action heavy mm-hmm. um usually showing off some level of, of visual effects you know um light on story but maybe there's like a twist at the end it sort of is is a teaser you know that leaves you wanting more they're all sort of proof of concepts and are like what what you're doing thinking about a short that has the potential to be developed into a feature i think is mm. is is the way that so many people including myself are thinking where the goal is not to tell a full story but to uh sort of prove your worth <laughs> prove that you can direct action or prove that you can make something you can bring something into the world and then have an exciting sort of sci-fi concept to back it up i don't know i mean it's just been me observing trends and observing you know filmmakers who will release uh a short one one day and then by that weekend or by the next week i see that they've got they've been either signed with uh, a representation or they've got some deal with some studio to uh to make it potentially or or you know the short has simply been bought and the ip you know may uh, may be developed further and it's just a pretty exciting thing that, that that might be one way to to make your project a reality out in the real world and do you think that that comes from a strong concept or from the amount of views that it gets yeah like, do you think that they need to see that people care about this and that's like a proof of like oh people really want to see this kind of thing yeah, well, I feel like it's it's always a different uh, a different equation for every project, and um, you know, in, in some cases, the only thing that's exciting is is the visual execution. Damn, that looks good, you know. Damn, that looks like Hollywood, you know. And <laughs> for other things, it's the story. Like, oh my gosh, that was heartbreaking, you know. Or 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 wow, that was a cool twist, you know. I think it's a unique equation for every short and the more story you get you know the the more impactful it will be like the more impactful the story the more i'm going to care as an audience and if you can have action or something visually spectacular on top of that it's that's like the best um for sintel you know we didn't really i mean visually it's it's not particularly impressive in my opinion i mean it's, it's clearly made by a small studio with limited resources but i feel like the story that we told held it together enough to really move some people and yeah uh in in my case i feel like if we didn't get a million views in the first week i would have personally gotten a lot less heat we did and so i did start getting some calls and um i you know within uh, a month or two i had sort of signed with a manager and i have uh, a couple agents you know um, at wme that really hasn't meant anything for my career yet (laughs) even though that was five (laughs) years ago um, it really did take that. It really did take that project at that level of visibility to get me in the door, or at least, I mean, it wasn't calls at first. It was, it was an email from an agent, you know, at w, mm-hmm. WME, and I, I guess that, I mean, this tends to happen. It's like it really does take the views. People assume hmm. if the, if this many people are watching your your shit, then it's probably pretty good, or at least people yeah. are interested and. That makes you valuable. Well, I have a lot of questions, but before we get into agent and all those other kind of questions, I wanted to know, like, you're watching these filmmakers who are putting these shorts online and they're getting whatever, like, optioned agents 
all those things. What do you think those filmmakers are doing? Are they self-promoting their movies or are they just putting them out and getting lucky? Like, what's the formula to like getting to the point where enough people are going to see it? You know, totally. Um, who knows? I mean, I, I guess uh, I need to do a little bit more research. I think there's some some there's different tactics you can use. I mean, you can release it on a channel that already has, you know, tens of thousands of subscribers you can't like if it's good enough i believe or if it's you know if it fits into that mold that visual effects heavy mold i guess that people are just inclined to share that crap you know (laughs) (laughs) like i just feel like uh as long as you can get you know uh, a few thousand eyes on it 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 hopefully will gain traction on its own i think that smart people um and timothy you 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 got to tell me how you got all that press in that first week for for um over my dead body because that's pretty impressive i've never had that many write-ups you know and and maybe you just ask you just send out the film and you say hey we're releasing our film online uh, would you have a look at it was that day of or was that before that was uh most of yeah we wrote people mostly before it was released yep. and we said we just premiered at the san jose international short film festival we're going online with it it's gonna um premiere on film shortage will you take a look at it if you like it will you write something up or share it with your fans if you don't like it just let us know what you think cool and then out of you know we might have had like a 25 percent success rate we reached out to like a whole bunch of people wow and only heard back from about one out of four of them and then yeah got written up in a bunch of places that's really cool that's amazing um and so you send people a password protected link first because right Mm -hmm. wow yeah, and I think we did most of our reaching out like the week before, I think. Right. And because if you, yeah. I think we experienced if you do it too early, then people don't care. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I did it like even just like two weeks early and they're just like, ah, let us know when you get closer yeah. to the release date. Well, um, yeah. I guess for the secret number, like we had a, a launch date, you know, I, you know, everyone in, on the crew was like, it's coming out May, you know, 20th or whatever it was. And yeah. um I don't think that made much of a difference, but um, uh, certainly, you know, we tried to build a little bit of hype. We had released a trailer, that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. I think the turning point for us was that it it was a, a Vimeo staff pick, and that yeah. you know that always brings a lot of views and a lot of eyes. And then and then yeah, I mean, I was just Facebook, Twitter blasting it, and and hoping that other people would do the same. I th- I don't think it's something that you can truly orchestrate. Um, mm. I think that the, the the content, the quality of the content will will uh, supersede any other factor. Right. It sounds like your theory is if you can get enough people to see it when it shows up online, mm-hmm. like let's say it's 10,000 views, then if it's good enough, it'll go viral and get passed around. If it's not, it'll just kind of stay at that. Right. And so like what your initial like for your next film that you're going to be finished within 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when, <laughs> Damn. <laughs> <laughs> what what's your plan for the release of that? Do you do you have like a strategy? Are you going to reach back out to the Vimeo people and try to get it as a staff pick as to get those yeah, 10,000 Yeah, well, well actually, yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that I've had on um the back of my my mind. Uh, and I think that um, sort of a, a blitz on all fronts is probably the, like, like I'll do whatever I can do. And so that that will, like I'm taking notes from you. It's like, okay, I'm going to email a bunch of people, uh, a, a bunch of um, sort of film blogs and that kind of thing um, beforehand. That's like one thing on my list. In the past, I haven't really been that marketer person. And I think I, I want to do that better this time. I think that there's email lists. I think that there's forums i think that um there's people who i can sort of get them on board to tweet about it who are major influencers um i think that um i mean one big decision i'm gonna have is what channel to release it on and on what platform i've been talking to um, a potential executive producer type who has hundreds of thousands of subscribers on his um, youtube channel and um the late the last uh short that was released on that channel got over 10 million views you know wow but that partnership definitely i mean it's appealing for that reason um but suddenly uh uh, that's sort of a a loss of control and so that's one thing that i 
<laughs> right now I'm trying to figure out and I'm trying to figure out what what is important what isn't important because it seems like oh man that would be a privilege to be able to launch on that platform <laughs> and maybe yeah, that will mm-hmm. happen um and you know it's up to his discretion he doesn't he hasn't seen the movie yet but uh at the same time I sort of do I want this to be on my channel you know right do I want to release it on YouTube or should it be Vimeo only because I botched the release mm-hmm. of Secret Number uh where I was gonna just push the YouTube link and then the first day, I um, I got an email, a frantic email from my sound designer who said, we're two frames off. Uh, mm, and, and we were oh actually God. out of sync, and I hadn't noticed. And I, I was like, oh, my God. And we were already racking up so many views on YouTube. And YouTube, unlike Vimeo, does not have this replace video option. Right. No. And right. I literally had to re-upload to another YouTube link, you know, start uh, put a caption on the on the first 10 seconds of the youtube video the original saying we fixed the audio click this one you know and oh, it became geez, so messy and like the then there were like a couple link like there was like an old link that i didn't want anyone to use and like a new one and then there was vimeo you know and vimeo suddenly got the staff staff pick that one i could just replace the video i was like yeah. ah we botched it you know uh, and wow. so now the vimeo or the, the youtube link you know it has i, I think it has tens of thousands of views but not the 120 or whatever that mm-hmm. vimeo does yeah. and so like i feel like this one should i pick one platform i always <laughs> felt because you know Sintel got 4.5 whatever and that's on youtube that's a on bigger YouTube. audience you know i feel like youtube has a bigger audience yeah it does and i feel like th- things get passed around and or found on youtube in different ways than vimeo does and i'm not sure exactly how it works yeah. but my sense of youtube versus vimeo is like the YouTube is always where I see like more hits on. I don't really see, and Alric, you probably have looked more at at hits on Vimeo because I'm a pretty new newcomer to it. But I haven't really seen like millions of hits on Vimeo. It's usually thousands, yeah. hundreds no, of thousands. Uh, exactly. So, so does that mean that, like, why are we both releasing our movies on Vimeo then? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah. Cause I think the audience you reach on Vimeo is is different and. I mean, it's something I feel like with Vimeo, there's some sort of prestige thing yep. and like getting a staff pick is like yep. a big deal. And like go, going into the staff pick, how did that happen? Did, did that just happen without anything that you did or did you submit it to somebody or yeah, how did the it, staff it, pick occur? It just happened on its own, which was pretty cool. Uh, and I guess I didn't realize at the time what a big deal I was because uh, I mentioned yeah. to people and they're like, oh, my God. Maybe a staff pick. I was like, oh, cool. Yeah. Um, it definitely cool. gives you, you know, visibility and like this, you know, it's, it is a prestige thing. Um, I didn't realize what a difference it would make view count wise. And I think it did, you know, um, but sure. I didn't do any lobbying or anything like that. Um, uh, and I, I wonder how easy it is for something to slip through the cracks. It's, it's like excellent. But, you know, um, someone on staff at Vimeo just happens not to see it. You know, I, I yeah, just wonder right. how things filter into their consciousness. The the thing that I, as a listener that I'd want to know the most is, so you signed with an agent mm. um, after Sintel. Mm. Are you still signed with that agent? And why hasn't the agent resulted in anything big for your career? Yeah. Um, the short answer is, is because I've been working at Pixar. Essentially, there's nothing I can offer them because they work on, you know, sort of commission and there's nothing they can really do for me while that is the case and uh and so that it's always been sort of like greener pastures in my head it's like oh la is always it's just waiting there you know uh with with my agents who are willing to you know who are ready to drop everything <laughs> and just make my future happen which is not the case i mean i think that the thing that i've started to absorb from other people's stories and um, watching people who do have representation really flounder or struggle is like you have to whatever it is you have to make it happen your agents really don't help it just like in the final stages when you're actually putting a project together or you know they they will help with the connections with putting you in front of um the right people but you really have to bring it there's nothing that happens automatically um Mm. i feel like (laughs) automatically that's a great word (laughs) uh for me, um, I am still, you know, with my representation, um, same guys. But 
honestly, we have no relationship. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I, I called, you don't talk to him I every called week. my, uh, my agent this summer for the first time in literally two and a half years. And I was like, oh, I don't wow. know if you remember me, but, um, <laughs> like when you look me up on IMDb pro, your name comes up still. So I'm going to assume that, <laughs> uh, That's great. and essentially the term is I've been hip pocketed. I don't know if you've heard this term before. Um, I have, yeah. I what does that mean? Don't really know, except that that's what has happened. Is is it like I'm sort of on the list, but I'm also not like I literally haven't signed any contracts. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, like so, I physically have not signed with these guys, but mm. they're sort of my default guys who have sort of claimed me to a degree. Mm. This is my understanding. It's like if something happens right. and you need help, you could call these guys and they'd be like, "Yeah, we'll help you out." And but they're not out there like actively pursuing work for you or like no. But I feel like that that corner can be turned um, as soon as I've got something for them to work on, you know. Yeah. Um, and I and I think that they would say that they are my agents. I think more um, more important is the sort of the manager relationship and and um, my manager will I have I do have uh, a more concrete relationship with, but it's still sort of. You know, we're not talking every week or every month. It's just sort of we check in every six months or so. Um, so mm. you know, I, I feel like it's um, it's just sort of in the periphery of my uh, uh, my life. You know, is, is uh, and right now it hasn't translated to anything real. But um, I do. It is part of my my thinking with this short. You know, this short that I'm making, it's got to be great. And for the first time. I'm because there was feature interest in Sintel. I never really mm-hmm. answered that question, your question, but yeah. there was discussion about making that thing into a feature. And I was pretty unprepared in terms of materials. Like I didn't have a That pitch. was going to be my next question. Yeah. Like five years ago, when you started getting those calls, had you been ready with like a feature script of Sintel yeah. or even just another project kind of in the same vein? Do yeah. you think you would have, your your paths would have been a little bit different? I think my path now? would have been different. And I think, uh, honestly, I might not have been ready for it um, mm-hmm. as a person, like more as a human being. I feel like yeah. um, mm. I was... Uh, I mean, I'm still pretty insecure. I'm still um... welcome to the club. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, but I feel like um, my glimpse into the process of animation has given me um, a lot of confidence about my own um, sensibilities and taste and ability uh, to lead yeah. and all that stuff. And I feel like now, if the same thing was to happen now, I would be ready for it psychologically. Now, in terms yeah. of level of concrete preparation. You know, if I had known what was going to happen, I feel like I would have absolutely been working on a treatment for the the feature version of Sintel, even as I was making the short. And I was yeah. I would try to put together um, a pretty compelling pitch, and uh, and that I think um, could have actually translated to a, a real opportunity. And whether or not it would actually see the light of day, that's another question. But I think that um, uh, I could have probably sold something at the very least. And that is like that is a, a lesson I sort of learned the hard way because, you know, it's five years later. Sintel is irrelevant. It's not going to do anything. Yeah, but for me at anymore. the same time, I I totally agree with what you're saying. Like your time at Pixar is not wasted. Right. Like had you done this five years ago, like your career could have been like poof, gone. Like you <laughs> yeah. might have already been like over, and you're now you're just going to be like working class for the rest of your life. Yeah because you have a foundation now learning from like people are so good at what they do. I mean, Pixar is amazing. You're in like one of the best places in the world to yeah. see how that works. Like even just having a little bit of time there is going to make you such a stronger filmmaker. And I think set you up for success even better than it would, you would have been prepared five years ago. So yeah, I think it's so good that you had so. that experience. <laughs> I think so. I mean, I feel the same way about my time in advertising. It's like sometimes yeah. I feel like, oh man, I wasted so many years in advertising, but it's made me who I am exactly. and given me confidence and helped define my point of view and exactly. taught me how things are actually done. Right. Seeing how real professionals put things together Completely. is really important if you're going to work in that professional field. Absolutely. Because then you can play ball with everyone because you know the terminology and you know what's expected. And if you don't have that experience at all, I think it's really hard. I mean, look at if you watch Project Greenlight, 
any of those seasons, it's just it's always just like kind of a train wreck because right. these filmmakers are usually like entering into a system that they don't really know how to control. Right, right. I mean, I, and and yeah, I totally agree. I feel like you know you are a product of your experiences, and every one of them, no matter how irrelevant, can right. come back and be useful. Uh, you know, even a service industry's job is going to influence your perspective on life and your understand. I feel like, especially for a filmmaker storyteller, the more you understand mm-hmm. life, equally as valuable as the production side of Sintel was for me, was uh, like living overseas. You know, I yeah. lived in Amsterdam wow. for a year and that made me grow as a person as much as the project itself did. And even just to talk about a different like experience of somebody like you look at Quentin Tarantino. Yeah who worked in a video store <laughs> and how that's affected his work. I mean, anywhere you are in life and your experiences is going to shape who you are. And like, you can totally see the video store clerk, Quentin Tarantino <laughs> in all his movies. He just like, all he did there is just watch movies. You can tell Completely, every yeah. single movie you get his hands on. Right. So like, anyone who's listening out there, that's like in a job that you're not super happy with, just take advantage of it, no matter what it is. Like, I, I think that even if you're having just like a regular office job, like, write off write a, an yeah. office space type movie and like totally. you know use it to your advantage or like um i'm working with the director of napoleon dynamite and i asked him like where did like who are your influences <laughs> where do these stories come from he's like oh these are just people i know these are just my neighbors and my family and friends if you met them you would see my movies oh. <laughs> right that's amazing yeah tell stories that reflect your experience i think that's really great advice you know completely all right well we got to wrap it up is there any last i know probably there's a ton more things we could ask you and we're gonna have to have you back on like i love yeah, it i just absolutely. have to say like right now i love this this is amazing yeah. it's so good yeah, to hear this from is you, super fun from you yeah and it's, perspective and it's, it's always reinvigorating to i mean a lot of times i'm just like in my little cave trying to chip away <laughs> with you know these these <laughs> dreams that seem completely unrealistic <laughs> yeah. you know i'm literally fueled by dreams that maybe in a year and a half from now maybe this thing that I'm working on today <laughs> is going to get me to the next level. And like, it's so, it's so, it seems so uh, uh, out of reach. And, and, and so, you know, I'm, I'm like deluding myself. Yeah. And so it's always just such a, a privilege and so, so invigorating to talk to fellow filmmakers who are sort of on the same path, who have the same sort of ambitions and dreams and are, who are trying to make it happen. Because um, it just gives me so much energy. So I, I just know like, Okay, tonight, you know, I'm going to get home from work, 9 p.m., but maybe, maybe because of this conversation, I'm going to be able to, you know, chip away for for an hour before we go to sleep. That's that's great. (laughs) And that makes a a difference. It does to me, too. I mean, all I reckon I do this every single week, and I think because of this podcast, I'm more productive because I'm constantly talking about it, and I'm like, and I I feel like in some ways I'm responsible now because people are listening and expecting that I'm working on something. They're like, oh, I better be working on something, otherwise I won't have anything (laughs) to Well, you're going to ask about the weekly update. Yeah, exactly. It's like, what did you do this week? you got to have an answer. If I just say I was playing video games. That's going to be pretty lame. Yeah, this definitely put, I mean, I think Timothy has definitely pushed me to, to be more active in my creative life, you know? And, uh, mm. yeah, it's been, it's been amazing. And I mean, just hearing you talk, it's, it's awesome. This is going to change my whole day. I think I'm going to hit yeah. hit the ground running now, you know? I think this is going to change my whole life. Uh, every single time <laughs> yeah. I talk to another filmmaker and I think oh. that it's like, it's a, I always delude myself into thinking I have it all figured out. I know exactly what the answers right. are. And then you talk to somebody else and then they give you a different perspective on things. You're like, Oh, never thought about it that way, but that makes total sense. Yeah. So it's just, I feel like I'm, I'm getting too set in my ways. Yeah, I, I, I feel too. like I need to have more conversations like this to break me out of my, yeah, my, uh, I think, preconceptions about the way that the world works well because uh, there's yeah. an open invitation to come on the show anytime you want if you ever have an Excellent. idea and you just want to like talk about it <laughs> just hit us up and just say i'd love to come on the show and we'll just we'll do one we'll do a, yeah an episode together cool yeah absolutely sounds like a plan and, uh, all right and hit up our message board too you know we're always there timothy and i are messaging back and forth so you can always message on our message board and have a little mini conversation awesome. yeah if you have Ooh, ideas okay. or you want to uh, run stuff i found yet stuff. another distraction at work i'll put it on my <laughs> second monitor and get less work yeah. done 
<laughs> well, thanks again, Colin, for awesome, coming guys. on. I know you got to run to work, so if you want to log off, we'll, we'll do the, the outro without you. All right. Well, thanks so so much for this opportunity. It was awesome chatting with you yeah, guys. Yeah, you too. We'll talk soon. Talk All right. Later. Take care. Right. See ya. Alric, do you have anything to plug this week? Uh, I was just going to, you know, just say, you know, Naturally Gifted Athletes is still out there to be watched. I'm not really promoting it very well. But uh, it's gotten more views without me doing anything than I thought. It's got like 70 or something. So, you know, that's, uh, that's all right, especially for a 30-minute movie. It's like, that's not, it's not so bad. Um, I do want to say like one more thing. Just like this uh, conversation today is absolutely amazing. And uh, I really enjoyed having Cullen on. And I mean, there's so much to learn from him, you know, and it's so fascinating. And I'm just like, I'm really grateful to you for reaching out to him and getting him on the show. And it was refreshing to me. Yeah. It was a really refreshing conversation and it it really made me, it just inspired me and, and made me like, I thought I was going to get discouraged from it in a way for some reason. I don't know why. I just thought that like this guy (laughs) who's like got all the success or whatever would somehow say something that was discouraging. And instead he said things that encouraged me and made me feel like, you know, inspired by his story and like inspired by his energy and like, yeah, like go out, let's go make a movie, you know, let's go, let's go Mark Duplass it up, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That was awesome. That was a great conversation. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about? Should I take us out? Why don't you take us out? All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. You know, help other people find us, you know, leave a review on iTunes or on Stitcher and uh, wow, so there's a latest review from Raphael Omar Cruz. Wow, this is crazy. I didn't even know about this. Love the podcast. I listen to it every morning on the way to work. First podcast I can really relate to as a filmmaker. Already started spreading the word to my filmmaking friends. Looking forward to more episodes. I mean, my goodness. That's like, I, I mean, that is the most amazing thing ever to get a review like that. I mean, we've gotten a lot of amazing reviews, but the fact that they're still coming in and I mean, it's just... And that's, that makes everything, it just, it just totally validates our conversations. Cause I, I do feel like a lot that these are for us and that I gain so much from having this talk every week, but it's, it's really cool, cool to see that other people are, are getting something out of it too. So that's, that's amazing. So, uh, yeah, and check somebody out. Somebody new... left, somebody left a rating on our review page on iTunes, a five star rating but they didn't leave a comment thank you to whoever that is we, we really appreciate you taking the time out just to go and leave some leave some stars leave your opinion on there but yeah and i, I want to talk a little bit about the website more than just you know what it is but like making movies is hard.com uh please subscribe to our show notes start a conversation in the comment section like timothy and i are talking on there and i think there's such an opportunity for some really fun conversations uh Timothy and I just are in the middle of one on our last episode right now. And I, I really hope some other people join in. Um, I left a, I put a movie quote on there that I don't know if people are going to get. It's very, very topical and very current. And so you, you'd have to have gone to see this movie last weekend in order to know it. Uh, but uh, I really hope someone comes in and chimes in with the quote or like where <laughs> it's from, because uh, I quite enjoyed that. I mean, I don't know if anyone else is going to, but <laughs> Uh, and then to finish the sign off, uh, yeah, send us an email at podcast at com. I don't think we've gotten one single email from anybody yet, uh, but hopefully we'll get one soon. <laughs> but yeah, but thanks for listening. Thanks, Col- uh, thank you to Colin, wherever he is, and thank you to Timothy for making this happen. And yeah, I feel very lucky right now. This is amazing. Yeah. All right, everyone. Have a good week, and next week we'll be back. Yeah. Thank you so much.